2: Football is back. Catch up on everything football with some of the best podcasts here on Podcast Sportsnet. Join coach Jim Harbaugh each Tuesday with his father, Jack, and others as they talk college football on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast. Then get all your betting news from RJ Bell and his show, Dream Preview. Each week, he covers the college and pro matchups. We also have Dan Patrick Show, Rich Eisen Show, and Riggle's Picks with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tiana to help with all of your football needs. So don't miss out on everything football here on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. We are in the doldrums of August and... I wanted to talk with Matt Moore, somebody I think is great at doing the big picture perspective. And so we go through a series of different topics, starting actually with 2019 free agency, the offseason more generally, and kind of some of the unusual structures that we've both been seeing that might be important moving forward. But then we also talk about the power structures in both conferences and a little bit since it's in his line of work with action network about the newer information about gambling and the revenue that could affect BRI. So we talk about that as well. There's also a short conversation with David Mason of Bet Online talking about how they set the lines, which I think is really interesting. It's something I didn't know about. And this episode is brought to you by RX Bar. Great product. You can go to rxbar.com RealGM and use the RealGM promo code for 25% off your order, which is awesome betonline.ag. Use the podcast one with number one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus, which is great. Quip, getquip.com realgm real GM, and you get your first refill pack for free, which is great. And our friends at True Car, great place to buy a new and used car. This episode runs... About an hour 20. Lots of good stuff in there. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Sometimes in August, unless Kyrie Irving gets traded, it can be hard to figure out exactly what to talk about. But fortunately, the two of us, I'm not particularly concerned. And this idea, I'm going to write about this at some point in the next few days, that I've been thinking about in terms of the structure of this league year that is different from a lot of previous ones is that you have these kind of two groups of high-profile players. So you have one group, which are pending... Free agents, and so Kawhi, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler. There are a lot. There are actually a surprisingly large amount of those guys for a bunch of different reasons. But then, what what I find really interesting is that a lot. Oh, and Kevin Durant, I should have mentioned, is that a lot of the other players, so the guys that are under contract, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Westbrook, Harden, those type of guys, due to the a lot of them due to the designated veteran structure, those guys are under contract for a long time. So what what the thought that I've been kind of working through over the last week or so. Is that the guys who are hitting free agency in 2019? So the upcoming year, they're going to have a lot more n- knowledge of the security of the system they're going to, rather than it be kind of being a one and done. And if for those who remember, that was kind of a problem with Paul George going to Cleveland in the first place was that uncertainty. And so I wonder how that's going to affect the thought process for these f- pending free agents this year.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, one thing I noted when I started doing, um, I did five star reviews for all of the different the major signings and trades. And it really shocked me because it was anecdotal, and I'm sure that people commented on it. But I was really struck by, like, God, there's just a lot of one-year deals. Like, there's just a lot of one-year deals that were taken by the middle class. Like, the middle class essentially banked on the cap going, like, obviously the cap going up was a big part of it. More, more teams with more room is, is I think, is a big part of it. But it's also interesting as as this the league kind of evolves into a new sort of era and a new hierarchy like things are shifting right like san antonio is without a doubt barring an unforeseen development on the decline uh and i think that that shifts things a little bit in terms of what you can accomplish obviously lebron going to the west and staying in the west for this period of time That changes, I think, dramatically like what you can accomplish in the Eastern Conference. You've got this opportunity for more money. You've got this opportunity to really, I think, compete. Now, that may shift if Boston goes out and just blows the doors off of everybody this year, which I'm of the mind that they might. They may just be like, oh, wow, Like Boston's just that far ahead of everybody, and they're going to be that way for a long time. But either way, I think… There definitely, I think, is an impact of these guys taking these longer-term deals that you kind of know where people are going to be. And my question that I'm not really sure of is, okay, so if you know, like you're like, all right, I know that if I go here, like we're not getting LeBron because he's going to be there, are you of the mind then that – Well, I should probably just stay here because I know the deal and it's more secure and I kind of know the situation because that's one of the the side components, right? It's like these other teams might be on these long year-term deals, and so you might know like, okay, they're going to be this for X amount of years. But that also means that these other teams have less of a chance to improve and they're going to need internal improvement. Like New Orleans is a fascinating case of how do you project this team out? Because obviously the locals are like, we're coming off of a great year and we got Julius Randall and you know Drew Holiday's finally healthy and showing why he's so good. And on the other end of it, it's like, look down the line, eventually this is going to come to the decision of is Anthony Davis going to stay in the market like New Orleans or not? And that creates a really kind of perilous situation. So I'm kind of the mind that going to the, the 2019 free agency that a lot of it I think is going to depend on what the, the big power players in this class are going to, to decide to do. Jimmy Butler, what are those guys? is going to decide to do because I think that a lot of players are going to see opportunities to try and find situations where they can grab on to rising powers as things continue to shift in the subterranean levels below the feet of the Warriors.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way of, of kind of thinking about how guys are going to approach this. And so that's also leading me to another thought, which is the teams are going to need a really good sales pitch. There's This is going to be paralleling not, not quite 2016 because, A, there's less money out there and B, it's just kind of a different circumstance now, but it's going to be closer to that and, you know, in some ways to 2010 than we've seen recently because these last two years have been so tight because of how recklessly teams spent in 2016. And what I mean by that is what part of the reason why I talked about the Kevin Durant to the Warriors thing really early on was because they had a really good argument. It was like, hey, we're a really good team. We play a different brand of basketball. We would be amazing with you. You know, a lot of that stuff ended up working out. And... This year you're going to have the Lakers who are going to say, "Okay, max player A, max player B, max player C, you get to play with LeBron James. We have all these really good young players. We can probably trade some other stuff to get one other really good guy, you know, maybe not a max guy, but somebody else that's quite good." And that's our team. That's that's a really good sales pitch. The Knicks theoretically could it's going to be difficult, but they could maybe say, "Hey, Two of you guys, you can play together, and we can still keep Kristaps Porzingis. That's, if they can pull it off, that's a very good sales pitch. And there are various other teams that have these different arguments along. I mean, Philly having a a max slot. I mean, the role that a guy's going to have in Philly is a little bit different because they already have so many ball-dominant guys, and then their defense is already good, but that could that pitch could work for somebody, because it's closer to competitive right now, and you know, there are other teams that if they're flexible, they can make a lot of stuff happen, and so I'm really interested in kind of what you could think of as the glamour teams, but then also the unique circumstances, so like the holdover teams. Toronto with Kawhi is absolutely fascinating to me, because they've made a very interesting bet. I mean, there is a distinct chance that they walk out of the 2018-19 season having traded DeMar DeRozan, they're one of their franchise players, the best guy on their team last year in the regular season, for two expiring contracts. Like that is a very distinct possibility. However, a Kawhi Leonard is amazing, and B, you know, the chance that you could re- that you could sign him went from zero to something meaningfully larger than zero and even if it doesn't work out, this is why I'm a process over results guy, is you gave yourself a chance. And so I'm really interested to see like how that same with the Wolves and Jimmy Butler and the Celtics with Kyrie. Those are all very different circumstances, but how those pitches resonate is exceedingly important to this too.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I will say this. One of the, the great things about what the Warriors have done is I do think they've raised the bar for what teams want. I think that's one of the reasons why Kyrie assented to The Celtics trade, um, which obviously that's up in the air considering the discussions about New York, et cetera. We'll see how it plays out because I don't believe in like talking about Kyrie as a rational actor because I don't think that he is. I just don't, I don't find him to be a rational actor in terms of his basketball career. If he was, you stay with LeBron James as long as possible and you don't talk about how the earth is flat. Um, but like, you know, I think that one of the things that Boston's done starting with Al Horford and then with Gordon Hayward and then with Kyrie Irving was they were able to say we're a win- we're a franchise with a winning history with committed ownership that's willing to spend that will spend the money to win championships that play a better way in a major market like that combination because players have always been about they want everything they want the money and the power and the influence and the market and the way of life and the success and the coaching they want all of it they want as much as humanly possible Like they are not uh, like there just aren't guys that are like you know I really want is I want a coach that I really have to kind of like suffer through like nobody says that right and I think that changes part of the dynamic you mentioned those kind of other teams I wind up mentioning this and it's frustrating because I don't want to mention them because I'm in the area and so I would get pegged There's like a homer, despite not being a fan of the team under the radar. Look, Denver's going into a season in which the high point projections of them are probably going to top them out at 50 plus. Like there's a decent, not terrible chance they win 50 plus games. I don't know if they will or not. I think there's a chance that the entire thing falls apart into a fiery crash. But if they don't crash and burn, there's a really good chance they win 50 plus. Paul Millsap's on a team option next year for 30 million. Which means that they're gonna have Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, who's, they got a team option on him to kick the can down the road. Barton locked up, who's well liked around the league a good young core, and they'll have the option to either go after someone else to replace Millsap or potentially activate the option and re-sign him for a different deal if they're able to bring somebody in that convinces Paul to stay for less money or find another another cap mechanism to be able to generate what they need. But that's like a really interesting situation. I think that the fact that the Pelicans have a little bit more maneuverability, I will, I, I'm struck by this. Having covered the league for 10 years, I watched teams absolutely burn their flexibility down, just burn it down. Four and five-year contracts for guys that were their guys, guys that they really liked, uh, and they would just commit so much money because they're like, "We had success with them. I want to keep them. These are my guys." The league is much smarter now. Like so many deals are on shorter-term money. It's part of that's the agents that recognize with the cap going up that there's a better opportunity for them to cash in later. Some of that's the players understanding that same thing. And understanding that you want the flexibility to be able to be like, I'm not happy here. I don't like it here. They fired the coach. I I signed on for I'm out all of these factors. I think, are in play for how this works and it's one of the things that genuinely I think is a strength of the league. I realize this more and more is is the flexibility of personnel movement in the NBA and the impact of those moves is one of the things that keeps the league as popular as it is. The pettiness is great. That that causes a lot of fun conversation. The game is in a wonderful place to watch but the ability for you to spend a night talking with your friends and being like what if they got this guy? What if they traded this guy for these guys? The ability to do all that because so much is fluid now or what if the, you know this guy's going to be a free agent? I think it dramatically changes how much fun and how much there is to try and keep track of. It also means that I think that there's a lot more instability for a league that really is I continue to believe the Warriors for as long as they decide it will be. Underneath them, there's just a tremendous amount of instability in how things are going to play out.
2: I agree with you, but that instability, generally volatility, can lead to some high ceiling teams as well, just if these guys decide to combine. Now, it's going to take some some work for that to happen, but it absolutely can. And a factor that didn't come up in your thing, which I think is going to start factoring more into players' minds now, especially after what happened with Isaiah, is the idea that if you're on a long-term contract, unless you get a no trade, and basically nobody gets those anymore, you are also subject to the whim of what that team does. So even if you like your current situation... That current situation is probably not going to be in your control for a, a, a long term contract. This is something LeBron has understood for a really long time. You know, that's why when he, especially when he went back to Cleveland, he was on these short term contracts. I think some of that was not really trusting Dan Gilbert, not wanting to give him, give him in the front office much of a leash. And so certainly that was limiting. And, you know, I think in certain ways that actually hurt what Cleveland ended up being because there were contracts that they could and could not offer because of that structure. But like, if you're, let's say, Jimmy Butler or your... Even Kawhi in Toronto. And you sign a four-year contract that does not include a no-trade, then... And neither of those guys are eligible for it with their current teams. You're signing with them, but you're also giving that general manager and that team the ability to move you. And so well. the other the other part of this, and I remember this as somebody who grew up watching baseball, that it used to happen every once in a while in baseball, which is don't give anybody a hometown discount if you don't have a no, if you don't have a no trade clause, because then you're just creating an asset that they can move for something else. And incidentally, people who could make a good argument for that would be the Morris twins. The Morris Twins gave the Suns a pretty favorable, you know, deal. I mean, they they split $52 million, which is still super duper weird. Those guys are going to expire this year. But by virtue of being team-friendly contracts, in certain ways, they ensured their eventual departure from Phoenix because Phoenix was able to get something for them.
0: Yeah, I think what gets lost sometimes is so much of this comes down to, to quite frankly, what is your belief level in your endurance? And uh, I would just say this. If I'm Jimmy Butler, or if I'm somebody that counsels Jimmy Butler, if I'm one of his inner circle, I would bring up the point of like, look, man, look what happens to Joe Kim down the line. Look what happened to Wall down the line. Everybody that plays for Tibbs, eventually their body gives out because of the strain. Like the list is pretty prolific at this point of the total collapse of all-star caliber players. Being crushed under the weight of Tibbs's minute load, and by that extension, that doesn't mean that you have to abandon him because he's given you all the success. Obviously, he believes in him. That's why he signed. You know, that's why he was great to be traded there and was open to that possibility. And he's you know in on the idea. I think, but I do think at some level that's going to shape. If I were in that position, I'd be like, we need stability because you want you do want to avoid the worst case situation. Which is your skills fall off because of injury, and then you're left as a guy with a compromised market value. Versus if you ensure that longer contract, it one, it you know, it increases your long term secured guaranteed money. But it also, I think, if you suffer an injury in year two, it gives you a little bit of time to maybe get over that and get healthy, and then maybe recover and understand what you're going into. You can't control the timing of these injuries, but I do think that that's part of of what should probably be considered because I would think that that's probably part of Paul George's decision as much as everybody. Harangued him about how everything went down. That was probably part of it. Was I like it here? I know what I have here. I like Russ. I know I'm number two here. I'm not overshadowed to the degree I will be next to next to LeBron. And the guaranteed money I think really spoke to him. And I don't. I, I think it's smart for for certain players to enter into that. Now, the other side of that is like, don't bet against yourself, you know, because if, you know, if things really go south, if things were to go just, the thunder just, Last year was pretty bad for them, but if they had an even worse year and all of a sudden Sam Presti gets let go because Clay Bennett just wakes up and is like, we just need a change. It's been too long. We need a change, which isn't likely, but if that were to happen, you know, now you're operating under somebody different and yeah, they can wind up moving you. Know? I mean, Blake Griffin <laughs> is the, 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 the one that we're going to talk about a long time in terms of they literally sold him on his jersey to be retiring there. And then they moved him. And keeping your flexibility open prevents that kind of elimination of leverage. I think the Kawhi situation is really interesting because they did everything possible to prevent that trade, and it still went down. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in how his people have handled things or their ability to manage waters because I think they're in over his head. Over their heads, rather, but the end result is still the same, which is he didn't want to be traded to Toronto. Didn't want to. Like you can say whatever you want about it. it's gonna be a good situation, or they're gonna make it work, etc. And I think that those those possibilities are on the table. He didn't want to be traded to Toronto. That's pretty evident. And yet he was. And sometimes uh, there is a level to which there's still this ongoing battle, right, between the between organizations wanting to keep not only the players who will talk to other players. But the agents who will talk to their future clients, you have to keep everybody happy. This is what drove me crazy when everybody was talking about the Spurs leverage at at, at that point in time is I was like, look, the Spurs have to have a certain amount of of understanding of the ecosystem. The NBA is larger than just who's under contract and who will make a deal and who has what assets. There are relationships you have to navigate as well. And that complicates all of these mechanisms. It's why, you know, part of that is if, if you really want to be able to hold the kind of power, it's not just like the no trade clause obviously gives you that. But in in absence of that, you need to have a really powerful agent who can make it clear. You do not want to make my client unhappy. It will not work out for you long term.
2: Yeah. And and that's also a downside of having, you know, basically your own representation is that you don't get that those spillover effects. I mean, you do to a certain extent just because everybody talks, everybody knows these things. And so I, I wonder about that a little bit with Danny Ainge. I mean, as much as those moves have worked out and and I think he's doing a wonderful job. And in a way better job. that I mean, I was very critical of the of the move down to get Tatum. I thought Fultz was way better. It looks right now that I was wrong on that. And then, you know, Kyrie, I thought they gave him too much. As of right now, it looks like it's working out. We'll see what happens with his free agency. So you have you ha- you don't also you don't want to get the rep of being like, hey, he's going to do whatever's best for the team. And that's good for me if I'm in the core. And it's bad for me if I'm out of it. I mean, that's the, the story that Isaiah would tell. That's the story that Avery Bradley would tell. I mean, it looked like Avery Bradley was going to be, you know, like a Celtic, at least for the remainder of this contract. And they were going to have this complicated negotiation. And he got a decent contract with the Clippers after a lost year. But, you know, that's very different than if he had stayed on Boston, even if he had gotten hurt, I think the reputation would be a little bit different different. The market probably would have been different. But you brought up the idea of injuries and security and something that I hadn't really pieced together with this class. So if you talk about 2019, the highest profile guys, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, and then probably, you know, Clay, Porzingis, and Towns. Almost all of those guys, a couple of exceptions towards the bottom of that list, have significant injuries in their either more distant past or their almost immediate past, or some sort of concern moving forward. And so that is going to be something tough for them to reconcile. I mean, it's very different for LeBron or, I mean, LeBron to take a one plus one than even Kyrie with all of his knee stuff or Kawhi with the scary quad tendon stuff, their decision, the rubber is going to meet the road in a very different place than it did for these more durable guys. And so I, I'm fascinated to see what they prioritize and that also ties in with something that I've talked about for years and LeBron is, as he is for almost everything I talk about in free agency, LeBron's decisions are the catalyst for it, is the idea of the third contract. And so basically in the NBA, your first contract if you're, is, is going to be scaled in some form. That could be rookie scale, it could be second a pick, whatever. Then your second contract is usually restricted for agency or an extension based on restricted for agency. But then the third contract, that's your first bite at the unrestricted apple. And other than Durant, all of the other guys, this is really their first big bite at the apple. And so that's when you find out what a guy really prioritizes because they're not tied in with this tied to the structure of the team that they're on at that moment, who has match rights and everything else. So we find out what they care about, and that might be playing with their friends, that might be playing in big market, that might be winning, or the best combination of all of those things that you can do. And so we're going to learn what Kyrie, what Kawhi, what Jimmy Butler, what they really want. And there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer. I'm sure people, there are people who vilify athletes for any decision they make in those cases, but I just find it interesting to learn what they want.
0: Yeah, and even beyond that is how funny, like having done this for as long as I have, You just learn that so many of them, they want the song and dance like they they you'll hear this a lot it's Like i'm just excited to go through that process it's really weird to me they're like i'm just really excited to go through that process they want the meetings they want to be whined and dying they want the stuff that mellow went on the last time that he was up where you know he's going and houston's got the banners out front and you know they're walking him through the 3d like the virtual reality stuff and like the whole the whole thing of pitching free agents they want to go through that they want to feel wooed and validated I'm I'm always shocked by that, uh, for two reasons. One, I'm constantly like, man, you make millions of dollars. Your face is on basketball cards. Kids have you on, on posters in their rooms. Like people stand outside and wait for you outside your hotel room just to give you a high five. How much validation do you really need? Like at what level do you need this validation? You know what these teams are offering. You know how they play. Like I think meeting with them is fine, but to want the whole kit and caboodle is always interesting to me. And then two, I think it's interesting because so many players have walked away and regretted that. Like Dwight Howard is very obviously like an example of like a guy that I think if you actually got him and sat him down and was like, do you regret leaving Orlando? His answer would probably be like, yes. And Darren Williams hinted at years ago that he really regretted the way things ended in Utah. And he was like, I, he basically was hinting at like, I should have just stayed there. I shouldn't have screwed things up with Sloan. I should have just stayed there. Things were good then. Um, I think sometimes players do overlook Like, that's where I think players can kind of get get themselves into trouble, honestly, is when they're in a winning situation where things are working and they're having a successful career. And then they get hooked on the idea of a bigger market, more, you know, a bigger name. uh, Because it's like, look, if you play well enough, your star will be high enough regardless. Like, that will happen. Russ has proved that. Russ is right now the face of Jordan Brand, okay? He's a massive Mountain Dew endorsement. He has his own fashion line. He's one of the most recognizable athletes in the world. He is a prolific presence despite playing in Oklahoma City. Like That's the best argument I can make for like if you're good enough, that's going to supersede all this. And I don't necessarily think that operating in a market is going to always do good things for you. I don't think – like I don't think going to New York was good for Melo overall. I just don't. It may have been good for him personally, and that I can understand. Like he wanted – his wife wanted to move there. His now ex-wife, but his wife wanted to move there. And he wanted to raise his kid in New York. That's something I can really respect. But everything else, I'm kind of like, I don't know, man. Like, You won a lot of games in Denver and were really close to the top. And you had a really good organization with what is now regarded as one of the best GMs in the league in Toronto, Masai Ujiri, running things. You had stability. You had ownership that was committed. Like, there's a lot of reasons for you to not pull – the kind of card that you did. So all of these things I think are really fascinating. When you talk about like learning what guys want, because sometimes it really is as simple as they want the money. Like that was always Mello's thing. Was like Mello is going to get the money, and I don't, I don't begrudge him an instant, an ounce of that because like you look at where he came from and what he he came up from and what he had to go through. And you start to really be like, No, I get it. Like I get you wanting just every single penny you can get, and especially he built an inner city program school and a gym in Baltimore near Murder Avenue where he grew up. Like that kind of stuff is way more important than how many all star appearances he has or, or what he does. But and that's the, the duality of these decisions is and players I think are are trying to communicate this more is so much of it's about their own personal lives rather than it is as much always about the basketball like elton brand went to the east coast and there's a lot of discussion that a big factor there was his wife's from the east coast and she had family there and she wanted to be closer you're never going to be able to trump that with with however much of oh we run a really great motion offense yeah but my wife i'm really tired of my wife yelling at me about how much she hates it here like that's these things are, are all part of the conversation and they get lost when we try and analyze them from a ten thousand foot view
2: and it all boils down to the idea that as much as we like to think of them as players or video game characters or robots or whatever, they're people first. Yep. And yeah. they have all these different factors in play. And I remember the one that crystallized it for me. I was talking with Kale Chouinard about Paul Millsap. And he just... I, I was saying something... I was just kind of off the cuff. This was actually on Real Gym Radio. And I was like saying something about it. Oh, it seems like Denver would make some sense. And he's like, did you know that Paul Millsap spent a lot of time there growing up? I was like, oh, okay. Like, so the idea that... That he that it wasn't going to be this big adjustment that he kn- kind of knew from a city perspective what he was getting into, it made a lot of sense to me. It's like okay, that's you know. So depending on how everything else worked out, who who made him offers, and that ended up being what happened. And that could the other key element of that is the interpersonal dynamics with all these players, and so you get into that's why people have been reading tea leaves with. Kyrie and Jimmy Butler and the reason why people think about that is because we have evidence now that it matters you know not all of that is always public it could be you know like the, uh, while there were relationships that we knew from the Team USA stuff going back to the Miami Heat guys I don't think we knew how close, like I, I did, at least I didn't know how close LeBron and C and and Wade and then and partially CP. I mean that that whole part of it's so interesting to me. Those guys all were, and then would be being there. And you know there were there are stories going back to LeBron. Sorry, Durant and Curry's relationship, Team USA stuff going way back, and Iguodala as well, and. It's not necessarily always the the definitive part of their decision, but it really can be. And this year, with the teams that have, you know, not as crazy flexibility as twenty sixteen, but if you can say, hey, you can play with somebody else that you want to play with, that's a pretty good argument. It's, it might not be the best argument, but it gets you in the room for sure. And then it becomes down to what do these guys want? You know, like do Kyrie and Jimmy or Kyrie and KD or something else? Like do they want to play together? And if so, where do they want to do it? Because the other important thing that you and I understand, we've talked about it a little bit, but isn't always out there is as long as there's like a sliver of a chance that you can do it. If a team has a, an opportunity to put something like that together, it's going to happen. Like that's the way grav kind of gravity works in the NBA is, you know, even if it's a little bit weird, like if I two people said, Oh, well, you know, the Knicks aren't going to get two max guys and they, they very well might not. But if Kyrie and KD say, yes, They're going to move heaven and earth as necessary to make it happen. Like that's what we've learned in this is that if it's reasonably possible, if, if it's possible enough to get those guys in the room, then It will happen. It'll probably take giving up a ton of stuff, just like it did with the Knicks and Mellow and all that. But that's just the way this happens. I mean, you don't usually have it where they get into the room, the player's like, that's where I want to go. And then the teams around the league are like, nah, we're good. And they just like basically scuttle it. Somebody's going to break. Somebody's going to get enough assets to make the deal work because that's how this happens.
0: Yeah, it there's just simply uh, talking to GMs that really became apparent to me because you know, there is, I think there's conversations both on Twitter um and in writing and these kind of discussions where we, you, you want to go like, look, I'm just telling you, they don't have the cap space unless they're going to do this thing, which they can't because this player has no value. It is not going to happen. I'm like, if these players decide to play in the city, it's going to be, that's what's, that's all that's going to happen. That is what will occur. It does not matter. It does not matter what the situation is. You know, if Kevin Durant, Wanted to go to a team that was maxed out. Like, if Kevin Durant was like, you know what? I really want to play for Riley and and Spo. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, I really like like Eric Spolstra. I like Miami. It's been long enough. I don't feel like I'm in the shadow. I want to go there. Like, Miami's cap situation is a disaster. Like, it's a disaster. It would take them about 45 seconds. Because all they would start doing is, like, you get Kevin Durant, and you're like, I don't need a first-round pick that bad. You need a first-round pick when you're trying to take a good team forward. When you're trying to take a great team to the top, that's when those marginal guys become really valuable. Which, again, is like number nine hundred on the list of things that Golden State has done right, right? Is like they've they've drafted at least well enough to get rotation minutes out of guys that typically on a lot of teams, they're so young, if they were on a good team wouldn't be playing. Like Patrick McCaw is facing some pretty long odds of his NBA career at this point. Like things are not great, but they still know like we could plug him in, he could play a little bit, you know, Kevon Looney. Like these guys, they're willing to give they're willing to put them in situations like Kerr started Kevon Looney in, in Western Conference finals games. That takes some nuts. Like that takes some pretty pretty considerable huevos to, to get that done. And yet they did it because they're just really good at developing those players and going forward. I think we do get caught up in the idea that the specific dynamics of the league are complicated, these big picture ideas. Those things influence the small stuff. That's like the small things that wind up being impacted. It's the margins, and those margins matter a lot. But it's still not a matter of it's not – those margins are never enough to prevent the actions of where the focus of power is, which are the players' From being able to exert that influence
2: and that's also probably something that ties in with now shorter contract length not only due to the just the structure of the league and Guys taking shorter deals, but also having the limits like they do in the modern NBA of five-year deals. You know, so so you can't have those crazy like seven or eight-year things where they're just a bunch of teams that go. There is nothing you can give us to to acquire that. Like they're, they're, it's just impossible. And the individual maximum salaries. I mean, so no, as bad as some of the contracts are in the league, they can't really be more than you know a third, two fifths of the salary cap, depending on how quickly the contracts rise versus the salary cap. And then the other thing that's going to keep changing with this that I think is going to be really interesting is the possibility. It's not a a definite thing yet, but when you're looking at where the estimates are going right now, it looks like the cap is going to go up, you know, a small amount, but a, a more consistent amount every year. And that changes the way teams think about it too. And I've had trouble with this a little bit where you're like, okay, well, you know, might be a 109 salary cap next year and then maybe 115 the year after that. That means these contracts are always the the their relative terms are always changing because the league makes some specific salaries rather than percentage of the cap, and that means a ten million dollar contract now is bad, and it will be less bad in a couple years. I mean, the, and so these if the cap keeps going up like that, then there always there will always be contracts that in the in that moment in time were untradeable or pretty dang close to it, but. It feels like there's more pliability now than there was, let's say, 20 years ago, and I think that ties in with where we started this in terms of the way guys think about the options on the table. Yeah, I
0: think part of it, too, is, is along with the cap limitations, there's also the fact of the first-round picks have just gotten to be so prohibitively untradeable, because not from a perspective of nobody wants them, from the perspective of you can't deal them. Like nobody wants to move first anymore. It's painful to move a first. Um, it's one of the reasons there's it's like shock, you know, Atlanta, there's a lot of people that are going to disagree. And I think it could be disastrous. Like I'm in a very much like, you no, know, I could, I I see why Atlanta did what they did on draft night because, and the reason I can understand it, even though I'm like, I just would have taken Luca. The reason I can understand it is like, you got to have the pick out of it. Those picks are extremely valuable. Cost control players that can produce are so insane. The gap is so big. They're just incredibly valuable, so nobody wants to include them. And then you have to also factor in that it's not, like, to get a deal done, you gotta do that, and oftentimes, like, there's gotta be some level of the money coming back. Like, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that the deadline, everyone's like, The Grizzlies are morons. They just didn't trade Tyreek Evans. What are you doing? And then there was a conversation of, you know, oh, so you didn't get a first round pick, so you didn't move him? Like, so you just got nothing for him? It's like, no, all of the offers, there were offers for a first round pick in exchange for Tyreek Evans. Those were on the table for multiple teams. I can, like, I have reported that in the past. It is a thing. The Grizzlies could have gotten a first round pick. The problem was all of those situations involved the Grizzlies taking on money, which Memphis was not going to do. They were not taking on money, long-term, short-term. Etc. They wanted a pure dump in the smallest fashion possible, only money that they could immediately move off the books. That is what they were aiming for. And they wanted cash considerations on top of it. It was like money was a huge part of that. And that's, I think, that's part of it. I think the reality is, yeah, if you really want to move somebody, you can move somebody. There's just not a lot of guys that are frankly untradeable. If they're hurt, that's different. Chandler Parsons is untradeable because Chandler Parsons can't play like when he plays he's back's pretty good but he just can't he just can't get on the floor and that i think is a really big issue for for guys but if it's not that like Enos Canter i think you can move him John Wall it makes me crazy people talk about John Wall's contract being untradeable The Orlando Magic would be like what do you want what do, you, well, what, do you, what what do you got to get you cuz John Wall is better than any player they have or likely will have over the next 5 years and they know that, so they'll give up what they have to if they had an opportunity to get him, especially on a multi-year deal, because John Wall may have all these flaws in his game and be on this $40 million deal and the injuries, etc. He is still better than whatever the future of the Orlando Magic At this point, portends.
2: That also ties in, like, I've used the term the Nene test before, which is the idea of whether a player plus their contract is a positive or a negative. So whether you'd have to add something or you'd have to, or you could receive something for it. And a part that I've always tried to mention with that is that it's not an absolute term. And you brought up the Wizards with John Wall. That's a really good example of a circumstance where... Teams have different priorities. Teams have different incentives. Teams have different pressures. And so that could, it could be for 26, 28 other teams that they don't particularly want John Wall at that price. Maybe they're happy with the point guards they have. It's a lot of money, all that type of stuff. But it only ever takes one or two teams to really make that work. And so, like, a good example of that was Rob Hennigan in Orlando when they got, you know, Serge Baca gave up Victor oladipo again, another Victor oladipo trade. And so, what I think is really fun about that as for covering the league, for watching the league is that you have all these teams in different circumstances, which could be quote-unquote rational, they could be quote-unquote irrational. And so what that leads to is kind of this it-takes-all-kinds approach that makes... All of these kind of wild possibilities, maybe not realistic, but possible is probably a better way of putting it. And so you can you can think about this because there are teams that want that would be interested in Player X even if 25 other teams would not be. And so that increases the options that are on the table theoretically for any circumstance.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and a lot of it also is how much things get impacted by forces beyond control. So one of the things that you noticed in Orlando... Uh, and I I kind of, I like to stress this point. I don't think that Hennigan did a great job or even a good job. But this is what I would say is, Orlando basically did this. They traded Dwight Howard. They added picks. They drafted young guys. They got Victor Oladipo second. It took Oladipo a legitimate five years for him to kind of get where he needed to go in order for him to evolve and and kind of become the player that we thought he could be. It just took him a while. They drafted Aaron Gordon. They drafted guys that were – they were never in a position to draft the number one. They were in a bunch of of drafts where it was – like the 2013 one, the best players from that are all down the board because they were long shots that wound up becoming great you can focus all you want on you should have scouted better okay sure but that ignores the realities of how scouting is and gms have done this for a decade or more will tell you the same but they built young well what happened was ownership got impatient like it wasn't just that like hennigan like started just dealing off dudes randomly it was that ownership got impatient and was like all right enough we gotta start winning it. i'm tired of missing the playoffs Let's start winning. And their ownership and upper management started putting a strong push on let's pursue free agency. So they started clearing cap space to go after guys which this is the danger right is that whole idea of like well anything can happen like what if we pull this off you've got to make sure that you don't over can't overextend yourself you can't produce too much exposure like this is one of the real risks i think with the cap jumping up next year is if you have bad teams that have a lot of cap space that's the worst situation because those are the teams that wind up doing dumb things like oh let's get Bismack Biyombo Tons of money. The Detroit, Detroit Pistons were a great example of this. In 2009, they wound up giving like Ben Gordon and a bunch of other guys like huge contracts. They locked in on this deal. Well, if they just kept their cap flexibility over the next two years, they would have been in a great position to go out and make a different type of set of moves. Like they could have, have made different moves and really been in the conversation. If they kept it for two years, the Pistons would have had Joe Dumars, who had won a championship. And with, you know, a history of winning and success along with the ability to say that to try and pull in multiple free agents in that big 2010 season. Like they would have been in a position to to make that move, but they locked in all of their money because they felt like they had to spend it. That's why another reason I think the GMs have gotten smarter is we've seen in 2016, you had the Blazers that went hog wild. Uh, the Grizzlies had to pay Mike Conley and he had a handful of other deals that were massive that were way over big overpays. But there were also a lot of teams that I talked to in that 2016 summer. That were I was like, why aren't you doing anything? And they were like, the market's screwed. We're not going to enter into this. I'm not just going to go ahead and commit large money just because. And they held out, and then they made better moves in the last two years, and the market corrected itself. Having that self-restraint is like – it's way more difficult when you have an ownership that's like, go do something. Go get me something. Make the team better. I want to make the playoffs. When you have that kind of pressure, that's what ends up caving you. The best situations are when you have an owner that's like, do what you think is best. I want to win the most. I want to win the most when we start to win.
2: And it also can change over time. I mean, you. Can, I, I think that's part of what happened with the Sixers was Harris and everybody else gave them some flexibility, and then also with some of the optics stuff that happened after that time, they got a little bit less patient, and that put pressure on on Hinkie, and especially with the things that were said publicly that are not usually said publicly. That you know, it changed the decision making and you have these unpredictable entities or in certain cases predictable that are at the center of all this and i think another example like that is the heat. I mean, you talked about how their cap situation is really impacted and i my theory on how that happened was they had this flexibility and there wasn't really a lot that was out there after Gordon Hayward decided to go to Boston. They're just like, "Well, let's put together a good team." And th- the fact that they'll be, you know, they'll get a couple extra years like, "We'll we'll deal with that at the time." And that's, you know, having Pat Riley, having Mickey Arison, and I think they had a real personal connection with that team that it had that amazing, you know, run, getting, getting all the way back into the playoff push, even though they ended up missing. It's kind of like one of those – it's very rare to have a season that people feel good about when they didn't make the playoffs, but that's kind of what that Miami Heat team was. And so – they ended up keeping that together, and we can talk about whether that was a good or a bad thing for them in the long term, but you know, it's that, that's what their decision makers felt was the, was appropriate at the time. Yeah, 100%. Plenty more to talk about with Matt Moore, but first, message from a new sponsor to Real Jam Radio, and one I'm really happy to have on board, RX Bar. And why I'm really happy to have them on board is because I really enjoy the product. It is a whole food protein bar, meaning that they're made from real whole ingredients. And so they label the core ingredients, egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package, and then they have the flavor components on the back. So it is really about those main ingredients. They started in 2013 and couldn't find a, a bar that wasn't full of artificial ingredients and preservatives and all that so they set out to make a bar with a few simple clean ingredients and I've really noticed that I, I feel that and as somebody who's tried out various things over the course of my life that they feel more substantial and been really impressed with egg whites actually as the primary protein in it and it, it, it does really feel substantial and chemically it's it's easier for your body to absorb and I like the, their mentality of Telling you what's in it by focusing on, you know, the primary ingredients being on the front and then having the flavor stuff. And you can use them in a variety of circumstances if you want to use it as a breakfast on the go or as a snack, which is more often what I use it for. Or it's also great for, for on an airplane. I mean, get into those circumstances where you just maybe you don't didn't want a full meal before you left, but you need a little something to tide you over. It can really be good for that. They have 14 different flavors and it actually includes seasonal ones, too, which I think is pretty cool and they've also now have rx nut butter which has a few simple similar ingredients like egg white fruits and nuts and those are single serve packets with nut butter and they have nine grams of high quality protein which is pretty cool so what you can do to check it out is you go to rxbar.com realgm real gm and then you can enter the promo code realgm at checkout and what you get for that is 25% off which is awesome you should definitely check it out and again we go rxbar.com realgm real gm then there's the real gm promo code as well so you should Definitely check it out. It's a great product, and I'm thrilled that they're a part of Real Jam Radio. I also want to tell you about our friends at Bed Online. This is a very exciting time in the world of gambling and betting, especially with the NFL starting up soon in college football, of course. And it's great that BetOnline is the exclusive partner with Podcast One Sportsnet. They're go-to for all things betting, lines, odds, wagers, inside info. And I really like the offer that they're doing. So you go to betonline.ag and they have great bonuses in the first place, but then you can add on that. If you go to, if you put in the promo code podcast one, and that is the number one, you get a 50 50- sign-up bonus today. And baseball season's still going strong. I mean, not only do we have the rest of the regular season, but then the postseason is a great time for gambling and all that. You can, again, betonline.ag, use the promo code PODCAST1, and that is the number one you get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. So definitely check it out. Great place to go for all of that information. And for those of you who want to learn a little bit more about the kind of the process that goes into it, I actually have a conversation in this with Dave Mason, who works for them. And we we're going to talk, you know, every every once in a while and so you can hear more about Bet Online. And how how they make lines, which is something I'm really interested in. So you can check that out. That's after the conversation with Matt Moore. Let's talk a little bit. I don't want to get into tears. That'll be a whole separate podcast at its own at a, at a different point. But just kind of where you're seeing kind of the the power dynamics in these conferences at this time. Let, let's start with the East. Like my read on it so far has been that it's the top is Toronto, Boston, and then maybe Philly. Philly, it's kind of like if they do it, if they put it together, then they can be in that group. But that's not a guarantee in any way, shape, or form. And then after that, I'm just kind of sitting there going, okay. Like, basically, then you have the teams that are certainly out of it. But then maybe there's a sub-tier of, like, you know, maybe, like, Detroit and Charlotte and those type of teams. But I don't have a strong opinion on a lot of that kind of stuff.
0: Uh, I'm really interested in the East. You know, part of me wonders if like teams are going to look better just by the product of LeBron being gone, so they're going to have a little bit maybe better year, and there'll be more momentum. I don't know. It's interesting to, to think about. To me, I have a little bit different view on it. I'm really in a space right now where I'm like, I just think Boston is clearly ahead. I just think they are definitively ahead. I don't want to drag Toronto because they did – like, DeRozan for Kawhi is an upgrade. Like I wrote this when I broke down the deal. Kawhi is better at literally everything than DeMar DeRozan. There's nothing DeMar DeRozan is better at. Nothing. Maybe playmaking. Maybe. And that even that is like, is DeMar in a space where he feels like he can and, and should do that? Like last year, I thought he was a really good playmaker. But that was the first year where I really thought that. I thought that he he committed enough to that. Um, Kawhi's not an excellent passer. He's a good passer. He's not an excellent passer. So like they improved. They didn't lose anybody of super value but if we talk about the margins this is the thing with the great teams if you start impacting the margins and you create instability your variance suffers and that variance can cause suffrages in your win totals so uh versus years before where your continuity and consistency and understanding of one another would have carried you in games now you don't have that to rely on there's also a lot of x factors i just don't know i don't know how kyle's gonna react I just don't know how Kyle Lowry is going to react to this season. They they just traded his best friend, and he is not a guy I want to have in that kind of a situation. Like there are guys that be like, you know, he's a pro, he'll handle it, he'll be fine. And Kyle Lowry is going to go out and he's going to play and he's going to be good, no question. But he's also a guy that I think is going to really feel it emotionally and is going to express that emotionally. And I have zero idea of how he and Kawhi are going to go along. The other thing that kind of goes under the radar is Pirtle, which is. I'm certainly of the mind that there are holes in which analytics fail to show the whole spectrum. But one thing I think analytics do show quite often is they will provide a reason – they will provide tangible proof of an intangible concept. And you watched those games last year and you saw with Toronto, holy man, like this bench unit is just incredible. They've got such great chemistry and energy and they play so well together. And what you noticed was a lot of it was the combination of you know not just Fred VanVleet – or DeLon Wright, but those guys and Pirtle. And it wasn't that Pirtle is this all-time amazing talent. It's not. It's just that Pirtle worked in very specific situations and played really well in specific situations. And now he's gone. You know, and Danny Green is, is a more valuable player than than Jakob Pirtle, no question. But I don't know how he's going to fit. So trying to figure out what the impact is. If their bench is a little bit worse, they're not as good of a team as last year. You know, if Lowry and, and Kawhi have terrible chemistry, they're not as good. If they fit perfectly together, they might be better. So there's this huge range of variants, but I tend to look at all the possible outcomes and think there's a not horrible chance. Um, that Toronto is not as good as maybe last year and just winds up having like a – they weren't a disaster. They were just good. Philly, I, to me, it's pretty evident that Philly overperformed in terms of their win total last year and that a lot of it was they, won a, they went on a 16-game win streak versus a the weakest schedule remaining in the league when Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Eliasova both got super re- Nova hot – and neither of those guys are around anymore so that combination is kind of is is kind of off so to me it's Boston is at the top and they are in charge of this conference and unless something happens to complicate that whether it's chemistry problems or an injury that is what's going to happen like Boston should absolutely crush everybody and then there's the second tier and i do think Toronto's there and i think Philadelphia is there i think Milwaukee's going to be there that's kind of my hot take is i think the only thing missing with Milwaukee was coaching, and I think that Budenholzer will do what they need, um, and that with Giannis's natural progression and another year of continuity and with how good their supporting cast is, which is really good, it's very – like their talent level is super high relative to their actual performance, I think Milwaukee is a team I look at and say that they're going to make a real jump. I think it's possible Washington gets in, in that conversation, but I, there's too many, like, question marks there to go down it. So to me, it's like Boston is, is far and away the team, and that may reduce some of the drama. It's just like, look, this is just going to be Boston. Like, Boston runs this conference now, and that's it. But the middle of the pack, I think, is, or the top for those the, the home court teams, I think, are Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto. And then you get into a whole mix of teams that go that in that mush that could be good. I mean, Piston, you know, Miami Pistons, Charlotte. Who else is in there? Washington. Um, all of those teams, like there's just going to be a Cleveland, there's going to be a lot of the teams in the mush, battling, trying to figure out, trying to find their best version. I don't have faith in any of those teams to find the best version of themselves. Or in the case of Miami, I think they can find it, and that best version still isn't very good.
2: I'm largely with you on the Bucks. I think that they have this you know, a massive amount of untapped potential, and Budenholzer, you know, there were weird things that he did in the playoffs, like, you know, basically pulling Paul Mills up when he got his fifth foul and then not bringing him back in until, like, 30 seconds were left in the game, you know, those sorts of things, which are a little bit weird, but he's going to do a much better job of understanding what makes their personnel special and and using that partially because other than empowering Giannis, Jason Kidd did so little of that. And I mean, the defensive end is really where the lowest hanging fruit is there. And defense is also why I think, you know, you talked about the idea of variance with Toronto. Something else we should mention is that they also changed their head coach. Like, I mean, Dwayne Casey, while many of us had misgivings about what he did in the playoffs at various moments, though, losing to LeBron is its own thing. I think of that more for like the series against Washington was closer than it should have been and all those type of things rather than, oh, you didn't beat LeBron in the Cavs. Okay, that's its own thing. But that type of variance in Boston, other than health, which is an important consideration, you know, Kyrie's coming off surgery and everything else, they have two different elements that are extremely important. One, they defend. And two, they're deep. So yeah, their offense would suffer if Kyrie missed an extended period of time. But remember, Gordon Hayward was also out all but two minutes of last year. Like they have so much talent that and they 're well coached that their the, their floor is higher than any other team in the East by a lot, and so I think there are teams that can get into where Boston will be, but i wouldn 't expect it the way that I expect it with boston and so yeah if we 're assessing kind of risk and outcomes then that that comes into it a lot and yeah, that other group like i 'm fully confident that somebody is going to break out, and i 'll include the bucks in that though I, then I think they 're the most likely team to break out. But it's also remarkable to me how much continuity there ended up being for the teams. I mean, Miami's basically the same. The Pacers changed some stuff around, but in terms of the general dynamics, I think they're going to be similar. The Wizards, you know, other than swapping gore for Dwight Howard and adding Austin Rivers through that transaction, they're similar. Detroit, you know, they're basically the same team they ended last season with. Charlotte's the same team other than swapping, you know, Tony Parker for MCW. And so— Part of me is like, oh, somebody will do better. And then I'm like, well, why? You know, like, I guess because young guys can step up and all that kind of stuff. So that's another reason why the East is interesting is, like, just the nature of the NBA is that somebody's going to really improve. But I just don't know other than the Bucks who it's going to be.
0: Yeah, I, I feel bad for not mentioning Indiana. It was just a, a missed point. I, I think they're another team that I look at. I guess I would say I think it's a 50-50 prop of – Milwaukee or Indiana, like if I, if, because I work for a gambling site, if you gave me plus money on Milwaukee or Indiana getting a top three seed, like one of those two teams landing a top three seed and I got plus money on it, I would be all over it based on the fact that I think one of those teams is going to make a jump. I think one of those teams is going to be like a, they're going to be the story of the season. And Indiana, I think is a pretty obvious one based off of, look, they were in position to get the three seed until they, they basically the grind of having to be in all these really tough games late. Caught up with them, and the Cavs caught a couple of easy enough games to slip right in front of them. I think Indiana. I think that Indiana probably won that series versus the Cavs if they have have home court. I think Indiana was better than the Cavs last year. Like I think they, even though they lost, like I think they were a better team overall. I think that it took LeBron going above and beyond. Like they pushed LeBron more than Boston did. That's just pretty much undeniable. They, you know, metrics wise, watching the games, like Indiana had them on the ropes and could never quite connect. With the knockout blow, because LeBron James is singularly great, but I think McMillan showed a lot. McMillan proved a lot last year in terms of what he can do and how flexible he is as a coach. Like McMillan didn't clash and try and make guys into too much. He didn't try and he didn't force the issue with too much. Like he just got them to play the right way and for everyone to be bought in and play at a high level. And he unlocked Eladipo and a lot of just Victor to be and Victor, but you know they and the roster they put together really was way better than what we thought they would be. Bogdanovich, I think, was a lot of that. Thaddeus Young having a bounce back year. Nobody talked about that, but Thad was really good on both ends of the floor last year. There are all these little ways. And then I look at them this year, and they got better. Like They, they added, like, Tyreek Evans is going to do a lot for them in terms of what they need and be able to hold up units and not put as much of the load on Depot. And I look at Aaron Holiday as a rookie that could come in and really make an impact. But Darren Collison was ridiculously good last year. He was, for his pay level and expectation- he was great last season. Um, they have one of the best, I think. They honestly have, I, I think, one of the best backcourt situations in the East, if not the league. And that's without any sort of star power, just because their guys are so solid and don't have a lot of deficiencies. They don't have weak points. They just don't, and that's really big. Not having guys that, that make bad decisions. Like that's what is 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 like Washington, Wall and Beale are infinitely more talented than ninety percent. 99% of the league outside of, you know, it's like Golden State, and then that's maybe it. They're more talented than every other backcourt, but their decision-making and the way that they play together never maximizes it. And a lot of that's honestly on John, and I've been a huge wall backer. I voted him fifth for MVP uh two seasons ago, but he genuinely has started – he's making worse decisions and giving less – um, defensively versus Indiana, it's like I know what I'm getting every night. Darren Collison's not going to play outside of himself. Victor Oladipo not going to play outside of himself. Tyreek Evans is a little bit different, but at this point, Reek's good enough to where that's okay. Like you need a little bit of that. Um, I think Indiana is really good, and I think one, like I said, one of Indiana or Milwaukee, I would be willing to put money on to grab a, a top three seed at plus money.
2: Yeah, a top a top three, I mean, because basically also, other than maybe the Celtics, these other teams, an injury can can totally derail it. I mean, and that, and that has a decent chance of happening. That's just the way basketball is, 82-game season. If a guy, you know, Lowry, Kawhi, Simmons, Embiid, you know, if one of those guys misses 20 games, it doesn't even have to be 40 or 60 or whatever, then that they're a materially worse team during that time. And so that could open the door a little bit. And in the East, something else that I think is interesting is, like, you have these teams that, I don't think they're necessarily playoff quality, but I think they're like, I, I, you know, you could see an argument that if things really work out and so like, for me, that's the Nets, the Magic and the Cavs. I, I don't expect those teams to make it in, but they could. And so, you know, I, I think Detroit and Charlotte are better than them, but there is an affirmative case that can be made for them.
0: Yeah. I, I've, It's going to be really interesting to see what catches it off guard. Cause there's always a, like Indiana was at last year. We just didn't, nobody thought coming and then they were really good. I think, trying to figure out who this year is going to be is is going to be similar like just crazy. I just think it's going to be crazy to look at who's really who's going to be that team that is way better than we expect this year. Like is Brooklyn going to make a job? There's a lot of confidence in Brooklyn based off the way they play and I continue to be like I don't know they're not great. Like they're still the Nets. Like there's still not a lot of talent there um, and Russell hasn't showed us almost anything at all to really be excited about. You know Cleveland's has a lot of guys that have been there and know how to win and knowing how to win is a big deal in the league. And they're going to be, I think they'll play. I, I'm going to be interested to see what Cleveland's mindset is. Did they come out and did they play with a, with a, a sense of um, resentment where they're like, everyone thinks that we suck. Like, no, like we went to the finals three times. Yes. LeBron's great, but we're also really good. No, with this. uh, uh-uh. and And they come out and really prove it. And Sexton had a really great summer league. Like, okay, maybe they have something or, I talked to the guys at Miami kind of the year after about like trying to be – they didn't want to talk about LeBron much, but I just tried to talk to them about the differences year over year, and they were pretty open about how there is kind of like an emotional hangover after all that change and how big the highs are, and then to go to the lower lows, and I wonder if that's going to be an impact too. So like Cleveland's another team that I'm really like – I want to kind of stay away from and avoid. We talked about like, Atlanta. They seem like they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league, but the problem is like I like a lot of their guys. I like a lot of their young talent. And that makes me like a little bit skeptical. I'm probably still gonna gonna push the under when I start doing my over under conversations and analysis. But there's parts that give me pause. Like I really like John Collins. I think John Collins is really good. Um, so I, there's a lot of instability, and there's gonna be an open door, I think, in the East and. Somebody mentioned this. Oh, it was Knox. Knox said, like, yeah, I think we can win 35 wins and be in the playoff race. And he's not wrong. Like, probably if you wind up winning 35 games in the Eastern Conference, you're going to be within at least spitting distance of a playoff spot. And that's just the reality of where the conference, I think, is at.
2: It very well could be. And it basically, I think it could push above that, but it's going to depend on if these teams stay healthy. And if they don't, you know, if, uh, if one or two teams fall off due to age or due to injury, then it really does start to open things up for the rest of it and i also think there's this element that that's true with brooklyn and it happens every year there it goes there are one or two teams in both directions so it's teams that had a very good off season like for people who grade them or whatever but that doesn't make them a good team and then there are teams that had very bad off seasons but that doesn't make them a bad team you know it, it's kind of this do it is it's you know the starting point matters a lot and in most circumstances, it matters more than that offseason in and of itself. And I wonder how that's going to play out in the East. Like, but but there, it almost always does. Like, I gave Brooklyn, I gave Sean Marks, or more accurately, the Brooklyn organization, an A for their offseason. That does not mean I think they made themselves materially better. A lot of what they did was moving their money around, getting a few future assets. And since I don't think they're going to trade that Denver first for a player this year— it's still a good move. It's still – I am I think that was a very good thing that they did. But that doesn't mean, oh, they're a playoff team because they won 31 or whatever it was last year and they had a great offseason. That's not the way this works.
0: Right. Yeah, and expectations are, are just really weird. I, I go back and forth on it, right, about, okay, well, this team is really underperforming relative to expectations. This premium is really overperforming relative to expectations. Were the expectations wrong? Or did the team not produce what they should have? Like that's that's one of the interesting questions because we are I think influenced by groupthink and a lot of it I do think is you get hooked on things that stick out. You're like, oh, he was really good this year, and you hang on to that. And that I think I have dragged. Like Indiana was so just uninspiring with Paul George that last year that I was like, man, I don't know about Millen. I don't I don't know if this is gonna work. And then he was phenomenal last year. I loved everything he did. I loved the way that he. Their pace fluctuated as their team kind of evolved. I thought he managed like a lot of things. But yeah, like sometimes it's clear that, that there's disappointments. Like the Lakers in 2013 in that disastrous, this is this is going to be fun year. Like, that's clearly a team that, that just widely underperformed. Um, the Spurs last year I think is probably my hottest take in that. You know, everyone's like, oh, they did so much better than they should have without Kawhi. And I'm like, nope, Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs are always going to beat teams under 500. They will always beat teams under 500 at a high enough flip to get themselves within range of 44 wins like that. They just have the formula. If you have the institutional knowledge to be able to do that, it's all you really like there are ways to game the regular season. Uh, I'm kind of learning more and more in the NBA that, You know, there's the the normal level of basketball, which is ups and downs and all this stuff. But if you're able to get past that on an organizational level, to where you can just you win the games that you should win, and you exert your influence in those areas where you have high edge. If you don't lose the games that you should win, you're going to wind up making the playoffs just simply by the product of of kind of gaming the regular season.
2: I completely agree with you, and there are different places to see that in in the in the overall league. I mean, we don't need to spend a ton of time with the West, but are you feeling the way I do where it's going to be an absolute bloodbath and basically from outside of the top two or so in all the way into the, like, let's say about 10 or so? I think it's going to be messy,
0: right? So like last year I thought was exceptional and that we had all the teams that were in it to the end, including the Clippers. They were in it. Uh, the 10 teams that were in it at the end were all good teams. They were certifiably good teams. Like you just watch them and you're like, well, they're not good enough. But they were good teams. The top nine were really good teams. I don't know that we're going to have that this year. I think Golden State is going to be whatever Golden State decides to be, and I don't know what they're going to decide to be. I think the range of outcomes for everybody else is exceptionally wide. The only teams I have a lot of confidence in, that, I've, yeah, that I have a lot of confidence in in terms of reaching their potential, are Golden State, if they choose to, Utah, and OKC. Houston, I am still very much like, I'm, I'm back on the over. I got to get talked into it by Rockets fans. But I am back on the over, which is 54-and-a-half. I'm back up there and thinking that they're going to win 57-ish. I don't think they're going to be as good. I just don't. I I cannot believe that they messed with as much stuff chemistry-wise, added as many outright negatives as they did in Carmel Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams and Michael Beasley, and believe that they're going to be as good as, as last year. If they are... Hey, I've always said James Harden is awesome. I've always said Chris Paul is awesome. I've always said Mike D'Antoni is awesome. Credit to them and PJ Tucker, but I think that there's a, a wi- there's a there's a wider variance, and Houston's front office would tell you that too. They would tell you, like, yeah, look, there's a wider. We took some gambles. Like, we're, we're making purposeful gambles to set ourselves up both for the future and for this year to try and find unexpected ways to get past Golden State. But to me, it's like there's just so much risk in that compared to where you were that I think there's a, probably a drop-off. Denver is a team that, on paper, I, I can make a million rational explanations for why this team should be honestly probably in conversation, at least battling for the four or five matchup. Things never work out for Debra. <laughs> they just don't. never finds a way to mess things up almost all the time. And until they do it, I have to kind of reserve confidence in that. The Lakers, I mean, there's enough analysis out there for anyone listening to this to know. Whatever you want to think about the Lakers, you can think They are a Rorschach test. Oh, they've got LeBron and great defenders and playmakers. Oh, they've got LeBron and a bunch of garbage. Like, oh, they've got LeBron and some garbage and some talented young guys who are incomplete. There's a million ways that that could go. Portland should be worse. Their over-under reflects that. Their over-under is shocking at 41.5 for a three seed, but they're a three seed that got swept and they lost key pieces in Ed Davis and Shabazz Napier, and they're just a team that looks like they're kind of struggling with malaise in terms of this isn't working and we're just kind of spinning our wheels. But they always go on a win streak in January. Terry Stotts always finds them a way to take advantage of the middle of the schedule to go on a win streak that gets them into the playoffs. The Wolves have a ton of talent, and everyone knows they're not that good. There's just all the way down. There's all this chaos, and then you start getting towards the back end of it, And I'm looking at teams like Memphis and Dallas and, like, look, there's a window there for especially if a team falls off and gives them a couple of wins, Um, if those losses turn into wins for them. I can see those teams being at least 35 wins plus, and if they're able to just go on a little bit of a win streak at the right time, jamming themselves into the conversation. I think it's going to be deep, but I think it's going to be a lot of teams that we're constantly looking at and saying they're really good, but they do have all these really weaknesses that continue to bite them, and they can't find the best version of themselves.
2: Yeah, and with the the Mavs and the Grizzlies and all those teams, I mean, it, it kind of parallels to me the the Nets and maybe the Magic in the East where you can you can draw a line of, of like okay if their threes go in if they defend a little bit better I, I, I mean I said uh, during the middle of last season I said that there was a, a significant chance that Dallas is going to make the playoffs next year now they went for more of a youth movement than I expected in terms yeah. of going after Luca, but they added DeAndre Jordan I mean DeAndre Jordan is still a very good basketball player and they'll be motivated with Dirk and I think Carlisle's is a great coach and I think he's a particularly good regular season coach just because he knows, you know, put a bunch of point guards out there. He, he was one of the originators of that it'll make the offense work, and maybe you'll have some second unit defensive issues, but that's fine. You know, you, you can make that work. And the problem is that they're in, in the west like if if you did it's not necessarily if you did a top 16 but if you transported those teams to the east i think they could they could have it's just that i think the line's going to be drawn really high we don't know that at this point point. and then the other thing that i think is really interesting about the west which i think is going to change some of these win totals more than people are thinking i don't know exactly how because i haven't thought about it in this is that the bottom of the west Improved. I don't think that they necessarily improved to the point where, other than obviously the Lakers, who weren't even really at the bottom, they were better than a lot of those teams. And trying was like you know the Suns. They're I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they will be markedly better than they were last year. Same type of story with the Grizzlies. I mean, they'll be healthier. They have they they made some real improvements. And so I'm fascinated to see what that does. You know, like will the Warriors and Rockets and maybe the Jazz, if they're in that group, if they defend the way that it looks like they will will they kind of rise above it but then maybe some of those other teams in that 3 to 10 range sacrifice a couple of wins just because you it's not an automatic w against the suns it's just a li- a very very likely one and i'm interested to see how all that kind of stuff boils out too
0: well, here's like a, a great example of it. Like, think about how close the Western Conference race was at the end, right? And how narrow the margins were as that game, as that season went down the stretch. So, Utah finished fifth at 48 and 34. Memphis was up on them with Marcus All going Buck Wild. And they sat him, just sat him. Like that was one of the grossest tank jobs I've ever seen. I'm not a guy that gets upset about tanking. I'm like, look, it's part of it. You know, everybody wants to compete. Everybody wants to get the best players. You make the decisions that's best for your company or organization or team or whatever, and that's the best situation. But the, the Marcus Gasol sit in was pretty bad. Okay, if Utah loses that game, all right, so they drop one win, and now they're back in the muck with Spurs and Wolves. And now I don't remember what the tiebreakers were. Uh, It'd take me like half an hour to figure it out, but that could wind up impacting the matchups and how things wind up going. Like if it was Warriors Jazz in the first round, that's probably a much more interesting series. And maybe that wears out Golden State just enough for Houston to get past. There's all these ways it changes. Or if Utah places Houston in the first round, and that's like a tougher or however it goes. Like Ricky Rubio is not hurt. We just don't know. Like all of these things wind up really impacting it. When you're not having so many teams actively trying to lose, it is, I think, going to change the dynamics of of I think about win distribution, and a lot of those those games that we saw towards the end of the season from Phoenix, Memphis, Dallas, Sacramento. Uh, well, maybe not Sacramento because the Kings are still the Kings. But those teams, I think, are still going. Those te- a lot of those teams' games are going to get redistributed because it's just going to be they're just going to be tougher than they were last year, just a little bit tougher. And I think the the win totals will be a little bit more in flux than they were last season.
2: Yeah, and that could make it. It won't be closer than last year because it really can't be. But it, it it could just change where where the lines are. And I don't know exactly how that's going to work out, but I am excited to do it. Plenty more to talk about with Matt, but first a message from Quip, the toothbrush that I use multiple times every day. And they're built around the idea of people brushing their teeth wrong. That can be for not long enough, not changing the brushes on time. And some of that comes from brands other brands, focusing on selling gimmicks rather than better brushing. And I'm consistently impressed with how Quip focuses really on giving you better brushing. And so it's an electric toothbrush that is a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing the right amount of vibrations to get your teeth cleaned. And so that helps in two ways. One, It's cheaper, which is fantastic. I mean, you have brushes that start at just 25 bucks, but also they're smaller. So I originally thought of Quip as being a travel brush. It has since become my everyday brush because I absolutely love it. But having those benefits in one thing is absolutely great. And the built-in timer, huge selling point for me. It makes sure that you brush long enough, but also that you're changing parts of your mouth quickly enough at the dentist recommended schedule. And then they have these subscription plans. And really what that is, is you get new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule. So that means every three months you get new brush heads and that's $5, including free shipping worldwide. So that's pretty fantastic. And so you you should, if you haven't already, you should definitely check them out. Go to getquip.com slash real GM. And what you do by going to that address, A, you tell them you came from us, but also you get your first refill pack for free. And since they start at just 25 bucks, that, you know, it's it's already very cost-effective, but you you can check it out. So it's dot com slash real GM gives you that free refill pack, tells them you came from us. Quip, also have a message from our friends at True Car. Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car Will improve gas mileage and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range weird right well here's another tip you also might not know about true car also helps people get used cars that's right, TrueCar is not just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you can enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They are also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new, or used car, check out True Car. Enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. The last thing kind of area I want to talk with you about a little bit, because you and I discussed this, I think it was back in March, whenever that was, about gambling and the potential of affecting league-wide revenue. We have more news with the Supreme Court decision there. There's still a lot more that's coming out. And what I was wondering is Kind of where you are in the thought process of league revenue, gambling, and and kind of maybe the timeline, if you have any sense of that too.
0: So I think the end result is going to be you're going to see an uptick. It's not going to be a jump. So the big thing is like it's not going to open up the door for a Kevin Durant type addition. Um, I wrote a big thing back uh, when it was still being considered about. Like, look, this could open up the door for like an Anthony Davis type of deal based off of some of these numbers that I looked at. Those estimates, though, were like the very high end. And one of the things that also industry people have said is like, well, look, that's all assuming it comes at once. and it's not going to. And we're saying that now the New York legislature delayed until the end of the year. The league is also still fighting to try and get its way in on what kind of money it's going to generate. Uh, the 1% integrity fee is not going to happen. It's just not. They've already shifted in conversations with other legislatures trying to pull off a 0.025%, 0. 0 which would still be a, a nice chunk of money for the league. Uh, but even that is facing a lot of resistance, which is why the league turned to the MGM deal. And the MGM deal is relevant because wrapped into a large marketing and – you know, associate brand association, all of these things are tied into the number that they got to with 25 million. But tied into that is also the value of their data. And the NBA is going to seek to use that to establish with other entities, if you want to use the official data and be somebody that betters can feel that they're getting the most accurate real time information from that the exact that the league mandated data, you're going to have to pay the same price. And by setting a price on it, that opens up Money. That's like complicated dynamics. The reality that I've kind of come to understand it and the way I look at it is, in 2017, 17, when they got Hayward, right? Yeah, Hayward, it was in 17. The Celtics wanted to keep Bradley. You mentioned Bradley earlier on. Um, I talked to a reporter that's been in Boston for most of his life. And one of the things that he had said when I had talked previously in the season about, well, I don't know what Danny's going to do between Smart and Bradley and Rozier. Like, I don't know what he's going to choose. And his thing was like, oh, always going to choose Bradley. Like, he's, he is Ainge's guy. I would be shocked if he let Bradley go. And Ainge did it because Ainge really will do, cut anybody or trade anybody, including Isaiah Thomas or whoever else to make the, to make the team better. But wrapped in that is this, is they want to keep Avery Bradley, but they had to clear space for Hayward. The money that's coming from gambling, if the NBA can monetize it to the degree that they feel confident they still will be able to, that could be the difference in those two types of things, in terms of Bradley staying or going. It could be the choice, it could be the difference between a team having to make a hard choice with a middle level player, a B or C level player. Or having to keep them or, or move them. And those are things that could wind up influencing things quite a bit. Not squeezing teams as much allows them to keep their guys. It gives them that much more wiggle room. So that's the kind of difference I think we're talking about is that the revenue generated by gambling, I think, over time, over the next five or ten years – And there's a possibility it gets way higher. Like, we don't know what the tech's going to do. That's the biggest thing is nobody has a real estimate on what the money's going to be because nobody knows what the appetite's going to be once this gets into the hands of mobile betting. Because we have estimates based off of brick-and-mortar in Nevada or overseas, but one, Americans are way more obsessed with way more sports, and particularly basketball, than the overseas market. And two, the kind of tech that's going to pop up and the way the gaming is going to be used – in terms of small amounts to big amounts, professional gamblers have their own view on this. They keep trying to stress that the league is less concerned about professional gamblers than they are about maximizing casual fans, putting five, ten, fifty, hundred bucks at when they're at a game on live betting or a prop builder or whatever it is. There's so many different ways this can generate money. There's no way of knowing what the max is going to be. I'm trying to be conservative in my estimate, though, and say, like, I think it'll wind up impacting the league in small ways and giving teams a little bit more wiggle room without necessarily generating any sort of huge booms that ripple across the face of the league.
2: That makes intuitive sense. And I like that you brought up Bradley because that's another kind of misinterpreted part of the Kevin Durant story is not that the Warriors, the cap spike. Well, I mean, it did open the door for Durant in first place because it was so ridiculous. But really, what the 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 size of the cap spike, the more important thing that it did was not open the door for Durant because they could have, like we were talking about earlier. You know, you can make that magic happen as long as you can get him in the room. But it allowed them to do so without losing Iguodala, without losing Sean Livingston, and so then they were closer to a finished product when Durant got there. And that's what made the Warriors so dangerous at the beginning was also that there weren't really those other teams. I mean, Cleveland was putting it together at the same time. So they, they were dealing with some of the same challenges. And then everybody else was kind of in flux a little bit when, when that happened in 2016 because so many additions, so many new zip codes, all that kind of stuff. And the ability to add without subtracting is exceedingly important. And I think that could lead to some really interesting teams moving forward. And if we see going back to the very beginning of this conversation, if we see some teams put it together in 2019, whether that's two max guys coming together or, or you know, what the Lakers are doing maybe what the gambling stuff does is it, it kind of filters in more in 2021 or something and like that when they're figuring out whether they can keep this team together and it makes that more palatable. So the, then the Lakers or whoever else those other teams are that instead of it being a massively burdensome repeater tax or luxury tax bill, you, they go to a point where they say, okay, we can, we can do this. We can make that happen.
0: Yeah. And, and those little changes I think are incredible. It's also, you know, there's I, I will say that there's reason for concern i think with i trying to put this delicately the league one of the reason the league really has pursued a lot of the integrity fee stuff is like look they want their money that's apparent they want their money they want their cut the leagues also doesn't they don't they know how close they came with Donaghy to having real problems with people believing in the integrity of the sport and they want to maintain that they know how important it is the players make so much the stars make so much I don't think you're ever going to find a situation where they're ever going to be compromised but I do think you have to have concerns about low-level stuff and the people around them and just the influence like the, the, the perception of impropriety these are all concerns and this is these are going to be real life concerns because whenever you have this much money people are always going to be looking for the edges and like, this is going to be another dynamic and you know the league can weather it and navigate it it'll be another win i think for adam silver but now and going forward i think that integrity concerns are going to be part of the conversation especially whenever there's anything controversial that occurs
2: and that perception stuff is really is really important and remember how quickly that can turn on any like any single story could be so catastrophic so they're going to have to be very diligent and the players and everything. And I think the money that's involved will certainly help. I mean, it's a lot easier to get into those problems when the players are making a lot less at, let's say, lower levels or in different sports where the financial opportunities are not there. But it still is very concerned. It's it's something you have to be vigilant on because the incentives in certain circumstances can be so great. So it'll be there. Anything else you feel like we need to discuss? I mean, it's it's August, so there isn't a ton going on. But anything else that you feel like, hey, this would be a good good point or something like that.
0: Only to remind listeners that what we think now is not what we're going to think in January and Mm -hmm. in January we'll go
2: like well of course this is what happened
0: but not the league is always going to surprise us as much as the top level I think is is very decided. I think that it's important to always remember that we're working out the best information possible but what part of my makes the sports fun is that Things are going to surprise us, good and bad. So, especially when you're touting how good your team is going to be, keep it in the back of your head it could be your team that has that disastrous season. Just keep that in mind when you're having when you're thinking about how this season is going to go. It could always be you.
2: And that's what makes sports so much fun. I mean, for I, 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 my sister doesn't like sports, so I've I've talked about this a lot of kind of like explaining why. And for me, one of the things that this ties in with what we do that is that's perfect is that it it ties in this level of what knowing more can make you better at predicting what's going to happen. But there is no certainty because if there was certainty, it wouldn't be fun. And so basketball in particular, I think is, is does a really good job of that because there are five guys on the floor. So like, we think we have a good idea of who's good and who's bad, and who's a good coach and who's a bad coach, and all that kind of stuff. But there can always be a Victor Oladipo who really breaks out. There can be, you know, injuries or a team that just there's some sort of personality falling out, and that's why this is so much fun.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me
2: on, man. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball, H P B A S K E T, B A L L. And as an addendum to this episode, it's gonna be a new regular feature, thinking about once a month. I'm talking with David Mason of Bed Online, and how I'm choosing to do this, which I think is gonna be a lot of fun, is I'm asking questions about betting, about the gambling industry that I don't know, that I'm interested. It's connected, of course, with what I do, but it's something I don't know particularly well. So where we start on it is how they set the line. And it's a a pretty basic question, but something that I didn't know. And I hope you get something out of it as well. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime. So what I thought would be a good place to, to start with these is where a lot of this stuff starts when it comes to to betting which is setting the line in the first place and and you can pick whatever kind of whatever sport you want. But how does that really happen as somebody who is kind of familiar with the idea of it but not really the process?
1: Right. Yeah, so uh, it, it depends on the sport, but let let's talk about the major US facing sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. And with football season coming up, I guess that's the best example. We have a bunch of consultants and guys in-house as well who who pretty much set a line, you know, for for the up game, for the games next week, our lines actually open before any other sports book, so we'll put the openers, the lines up, and you know, say for the Thursday night game or or the Eagles or the Eagles versus the Browns this this Thursday. Our guys will put up a line what they think it is, what, what it should be, and they'll open it up. They'll open it up for lower limits so we don't get killed by the sharps and people will bet it. And if sharp guys bet it, we'll have to move accordingly. So if, let's say, the Sharps take Eagles plus three – We will move it down to plus two and a half or plus three with extra juice. We'll move accordingly based on the sharp action on those openers. And of course the public piles in too. You know, a lot of people think that the public moves those lines and they they really, they do a little bit, but it's much more the sharp action that moves those lines and that the line gets sharp. You know, the line works as the week goes on the line gets sharper and sharper to where it should be, to so to where when it closes, when the game's ready to kick off, the, the line is as tight as possible. So it is really advantageous for the better to have access to the earliest odds out there because the earliest odds are a lot more loose and easier to beat because they're not the final odds yet. Those sharps are going to shape this, those odds as the week goes on.
2: Yeah, and I, I like you using the word like shaping the line because really i'm I'm sure that's what happens with really everything is that and also you're getting more input over it it could be players that are are healthy or are going to be injured and so people who think that they have a better read on the circumstance that generally speaking they're going to get something more favorable on that early rather than late
1: oh absolutely you're 100 percent right so you know that that's the thing i i always find a little perplexing is 80 of that action comes in day of the game or, or late you know Late in the day, if it's NBA or baseball, and ignoring those early odds, you you ignore so much value. That's why those sharp guys, those those guys are at their computers, waiting for the opening odds, see where they are, and and either waiting or or firing and making bets, and that's where all the value is.
2: Well, I know one of the challenges with setting a line, and also I'm I'm sure this is also involved in, in betting it. You talked about how it is; it's not necessarily as much about the public, though they can move it, but. There is also the squaring of, like, predicting what's going to happen in the game, but also I'm sure there's some balancing in terms of predicting, you know, who is betting because there are certain teams that probably they have a really enthusiastic fan base and they probably push the line in a different direction than it would be if it was straight. You know, like, I'm thinking in my head, for whatever reason, this is the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe that's growing up in San Francisco. I always thought of it as them as the big team, but... Is that something to consider? Is like the size of a fan base, or like maybe maybe there's a fan base that's always thinks that, or, or there's a team that everybody thinks is really really good. Yeah,
1: I mean, the best example over recent years is the Patriots. You know, it's not just the the size of their fan base; it's just that people bet them every week. You know, they're so good, they're such a public team that betters the public are backing them week in, week out, every week. You know, we need. We need the side the Patriots are playing. Um, so that, that's a good example then. So you do take it into account a little bit. Um, You know, we'll adjust those odds a little bit based on that overwhelming public action on, let's say, the Patriots. But at the end of the day, you don't want to give value to the Sharps on the other side because those guys are waiting for the price. They'll bet either side. They don't care. They're just waiting on the most advantageous price. Now, that being said, I mean, the Sharps have done horrible on the Patriots the last – year last two years and the public has done great the public has if they if you just bet the Patriots the last couple years and you're you're making out you're making a mint and the Sharps usually fade the Patriots because they're laying so many points usually that the Sharps take those points on the other side but that hasn't worked out so well for the Sharps the last couple years we'll see about this upcoming season
2: well, that's interesting because yeah, that that also that gets into having to know your clientele, having to know your business because how who who is really shaping it, who's doing well, who's doing poorly, all that stuff really has to factor in as well.
1: No, absolutely. You know, we we know every week the hot teams are going to be bet, they're going to be backed. Whether it is the Patriots this coming year, the beginning of the season, they're definitely going to be who the public is backing and we'll see how the season goes but if they they play like they did the last 18 years or whatever then we're going to be rooting against the patriots every every dang week so yeah i mean you have to take that into consideration when setting the line definitely but like i said if the line is going to be tight by the end of the week and we just want to shape it based on the sharp action more so than the public action
2: and then one other quick question sure how does the the dynamic with football so football games you know teams play once a week Maybe maybe sometimes they have a short week with a thursday game how How is that different in terms of setting and you know a line sharpening up over time versus basketball where the teams play so quickly that you don't you, it doesn't have a lot of time to move necessarily
1: right now it's a good question for basketball you know baseball hockey, we open the odds the afternoon before, so you know some books won't open them up until morning of, but we open up the afternoon before and once again they're opening before every other book, including you know, brick and mortar in Vegas and wherever, but it's a lot quicker. You know, the, the guys are firing a lot quicker. There's a lot less time, but still, you know, it's not as drawn out throughout the week, but you know, it, on the on the opposite end, that the injuries, you know, in football, it's that there's more injuries and and there's more injuries on every team. That's kind of drawn out throughout the week, right? The information trickling in, whereas basketball, baseball, it's it's a lot quicker and and I guess fewer injuries. There's still big injuries, you know. LeBron James is questionable with a toe injury for the next day. Then that's going to affect the line, and you know we can always uh, put lower limits on games like that if there is an injury or whatever. But yeah, it's it's a lot quicker for for those overnight games
2: yeah that makes a lot of sense well thanks so much for taking time I love I'm um, looking forward to continuing talking with you about this stuff yeah
1: absolutely thanks so much for having me
2: I really appreciate David Mason coming on and telling us a little bit about bet online and also just how lines are set I think that's something really interesting and I will use this opportunity to to learn things that is what I think is important I think what you will enjoy and I love I really like talking with David of course thanks again to Matt Moore of the action Network for a great conversation love talking with matt known him for years and again and hp basketball i'm i'm sure almost everybody here falls in but if you don't you should check it out and still enjoying the offseason. Lots of good conversations to have. It looks like the next little bit is going to be a mix of the capsule podcasts, the three remaining ones, and I'm going to try to do over-unders with Arturo Goletti at some point in the near term as well. We're still figuring out the timing on all of those pieces. Lots of guests, lots of timing, all that kind of fun stuff. So that's what's coming though. Really, my hope is that will cover the ground between now and then October, and then that's when stuff really starts beginning. And looking forward to all of that, of course. If you have any in Put on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, best way to do it is Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I hope to respond. I have a little bit more time in the summer, but I don't promise that. And a lot of times the stuff doesn't really necessitate a response. It's more just like, hey, if you have something, you like this guest, you don't like that guest, do more like this. I I do consider that because having my listeners be happy is how more people listen to the show. And if you want to support the show, there are a ton of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's iTunes. If you want to be super awesome, you can use Apple Podcasts. Read it there and read it in the podcast player if you're choosing, if those are not the same thing. And then also, of course, subscribing, downloading every episode. That is particularly useful for a show like Real GM Radio, which does not come out on a specific day of the week. So you can't really get into a routine of, oh, I'm gonna listen to it at X time. I don't know when it's coming out. It depends on my guest availability. So you can do that as well. And then the single biggest thing you can do for this show and any other show that has advertisers is check out our sponsors. So for this episode, RX Bar Great Whole Food. Bars rxbar.com slash realgm promo code realgm 25% off your first order, which is great. Bet online.ag the promo code there is podcast one, the number one 50% sign up bonus. Quip great toothbrush getquip.com slash realgm you get your first refill pack for free. I love when I get them in the mail. It's a new new toothbrush at a great price anyway, but getting it for free is certainly better than the the reasonable $5 plus shipping that it is, which is such a great price. And then TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. If you want to keep track of my work, going to be doing a bunch of stuff for The Athletic, have some CBA encyclopedia stuff. I think I'm going to focus on restricted free agency, but I'm also going to be hopefully editing some work from others who are contributing to the project as well, which I'm really excited about. Want to get more traction with it, especially before the season starts and everything gets super crazy. So that is one of my goals as well. And then podcasting, I am a frequent part of Dunked On, less so in the summer because we have these podcasts with specific people who know those teams well, and so usually that's one host, one guest. I'm going to be actually filling in for Nate while he's on his honeymoon, so I will be doing some of it, but he has some pre-recorded episodes as well, so you can check that out. And then you can follow me on Twitter, at Danny LaRue, for anything else that I'm working on, which is always something. I mean, that's the way this works for me. And you can check out Real GM. Of course, they do amazing work on everything else. And they've already started. Raphael has started doing draft work, which is amazing for 2019. I am not in that headspace at all yet, but I admire those who are. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. <laughs>
1: Celebrate Heart Healthy
0: Month at ShopRite.
1: Find heart-healthy favorites in-store or online at unbeatable prices.
0: And go to ShopRite.com slash day to discover wellness experts, meal inspirations, and trends. Shop nutritious. Shop delicious.
1: Shop wellness.
0: ShopRite.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24 7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.